This podcast is sponsored by Pearson, the team that brings you the self, GFTA, and now the new PPVT5 and EVT3. Enjoy a special 10% pre-publication discount when you order these vocabulary tests before December 31st, 2018. Learn more at pearsonclinical.com slash PPVT5. Welcome to Talking With Tech. Chris, what's a small talk episode? I'm so glad you asked, Rachel. So here's the deal. One of the days that I was recording with one of our guests, it occurred to me that we started chatting about something after the interview. And I thought, oh, this would be perfect for for a podcast episode, but maybe not a full episode. What if we just got on and just started chatting about the topic that it was? I can't remember which which person went first. Um, And that happened over and over again, where I'm having interviews with people. I thought, oh, this would be perfect, but it wouldn't make enough content for an entire episode. So I started asking people to record what we are calling small talk episodes, usually short segments, which are seven minutes or less. And they are just talking about uh, whatever the topic is that came to mind. Uh, In some cases, it might be uh, about an AAC camp. It might be a specific app that people use. It might be about uh, uh, any sort of concept that works for them that didn't fit the content for a full-length interview, you know? Uh, And so we didn't know what we were going to do with these episodes exactly. And uh, we'll try and continue to record these in the future. But For this particular episode, we stitched a bunch of them together and put them all out to you in this one particular episode. So what you're about to hear are a bunch of small interviews with previous guests who've already been on the show talking about different topics that didn't make it into their actual episode. So we're really excited to bring you guys some bonus content. Without further ado, let's head into the Small Talk episode. Dana, thank you for participating in this small talk episode or small talk segment. I'm not even sure how we're going to use it. Um, but uh, I wanted to ask you real quick. Uh, I have a friend of mine. His name's Tom. And he challenged me once to do something called the 22-day challenge. What it was was to do 22 push-ups a day for 22 days. And I remember starting being like, oh, my God, my shoulders. And then by the end of 22, I was like, oh, I could keep doing this. You know, like I am now uh, a Superman because I can do 22 and, and the idea, though, was the challenge kept me going, you know, where otherwise I might have quit or I might have done three days. But the, the, the idea that I could challenge myself made it going. Now, you did something similar, uh, something called the 21-day challenge. You mentioned it in, your, in, your, in the interview that we did for Talking With Tech. Can you tell us more about it? Sure. The 21 day modeling challenge um, started at kind of, I think it was the end of the summer. So it was time that I thought a lot of families were kind of home finishing out their summer. And I thought it would be a really good time to kind of refocus on modeling, maybe after some time off, a little break from school. Um, And so the challenge was to model every day for 21 days. And it's pretty simple. Uh, That that was really it. But we did a few things to make it a little um, more supported. So every day on the blog's Facebook page, the Uncommon Sense Facebook page, I would post a check-in at the end of the day or sometimes at the beginning of the day so that if people kind of got this little nudge that they should be modeling something so that if they want to, they can come back and share later. Um, Some families were super involved and they would come and they would share a picture at the end of the day or like a little story about a success they had or a challenge. But I made sure to post that every day for the 21 days. Um, And some days, you know, there was like, oh, maybe, you know, it'd be a good day to think about an adjective or 
something, something different to give people an idea. Um, but really that was it. 21 days. Make sure you have the device with you. Don't leave it at home. Don't leave it inside. If you're going to play outside by the pool. Um, and I tried to post a lot of pictures to show kind of how we were out. Some of the pictures were less successful than others. It would be me sitting on the bench with the device as my children ran away at the playground and ignored me, but I had it with me. I had it out. We were using it. Um, and at the end of the 21 days, there were actually a lot of noticeable changes that happened in my family. And I think a lot of the other people who participated. That is awesome. I guess people don't have to wait for another. They, they could do their own 21 day modeling challenge right now. Right. But it's, it's more fun to do it as a community. Right. And, and, and yeah, it is. It's nice to kind of do it together. And some people, you know, do great with like having a little printout, a little calendar where you like you're writing a little note about like, oh, I added this word today. So I think I made a little handout to go with it. Other people just kind of, you know, like to share a picture or whatever. But um, we, we just, I know for my family, by the end of the 21 days, one of the most simple, noticeable changes was that it felt really strange to go out without having a device strapped onto me. Um, and that in and of itself is kind of so powerful. It brings the device right back to kind of the heart of the family to say, we're leaving, we have this with us. Like this is always right here and it's what we do as a family. Um, and so sometimes it's just as simple as maybe if you're, if you kind of hit a rut, just challenge yourself to have it with your person every day for 21 days and see what naturally happens from there. That's awesome. I love it. Well, thank you for putting that together. And thanks to everyone who participated in it, because uh, I think that's something we should revisit and maybe see if there's a way we can do that again, you know, have a redux. I agree. <laughs> yeah. yeah, definitely. All right. Well, thanks, Dana. Thanks, Chris. Welcome to the small talk episode. Erin, tell me more. You, you're doing some sort of project with assistiveware? Yeah, so I work for assistiveware, and I, it was hilarious. So they hired me on what's called their AAC team. And so it's developing materials, as I understood it, for educators, speech therapists, parents. And then the first assignment I got was to understand what are the resource needs of adult AAC users. So literate adult AAC users, what are the articles they, they need? What are the written materials they need? And I was just like, did y'all read my bio? Because I know nothing about this. I work with the most emergent AAC users, right? Um, and so for several months, um, I got to do these interviews with adult AAC users. And it was absolutely mind-blowing. I asked them you know, what's most important to you um, in your AAC? Um, and what's your advice for families? And what's your advice for professionals? And, and what I heard was, I think the number one message that I heard was focus a lot less on what we see, say with our AAC. You speaking people need to focus a lot more on how to become better listeners. I know. They said, we are communicating with our whole bodies in so many ways in a world that doesn't want to stop and take the time to listen. And they told stories of everything from how all the years in school they practiced how to do greetings. And then going out into the real world, the only people who stop and take the time for an AAC user to greet them is a teacher or a speech therapist. Right. Everybody else kind of waves high and keeps going. 
um, they talked about how in person, communicating with someone with AAC, the other person often uses two, three, four word sentences. But if they communicate with that same person online, they have these really rich conversations. And so they said, you speaking people are so quick to judge whether we have something worth saying based on our physical appearance. Mm. And they really, they really seemed to, most of them preferred having conversations online where their physical body wasn't what we were responding to. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and that it's was a, just really, really powerful to me. It's um, a bias. It's a bias that people have without really realizing. It's an unconscious bias that people have without really realizing it. And and I'm probably just as guilty as everyone else and, and have to be cognizant of it. Even and, and I would imagine speech therapists and teachers are as well, uh, even though we're trained or try to be trained uh, to not do that, it's still there. And so it's kind of fighting against that, that unconscious bias. Yeah. And it was interesting. So I thought I could interview them and I would get this list of here's how as a speaking person, we can be a good communication partner. We just need to do these 10 things. And if we just all learn these 10 rules, we'll all be good. And what I learned was there's only one real rule of speaking with an AAC user and it's to find out how they want to be spoken with. Mm. That there is no, so for example, some people really like it when the communication partner tries to predict what they're about to say because it helps speed the flow of the conversation. Mm -hmm. And they like it when you're looking at the screen as they're forming a message. Most of them don't, but some of them do. Mm -hmm. Some were very sensitive to background noise in the environment. Um, and really do best in a conversation if it's one-on-one in a quiet room. And so it would really benefit them if you say, hey, do you want to take this conversation over here where it's going to be quieter um, or where you can sit down? Because for many of them, they're trying to stand while holding their AAC, and we don't realize that that's creating more of a barrier for them. And they don't want to interrupt the conversation by saying, Hey, can we go sit down somewhere? Can we go sit down, right, right. Yeah. That's yeah, all so great advice. Yeah. It was fascinating. So we made this checklist. It'll be available on the Assistive Wear website, I think after February or so. But we made a checklist designed for the person who uses AAC to be able to say, these are the things I want you to do and these are the things I don't want you to do. Mm-hmm. And if the person isn't yet, like my own daughter is more emergent in her AAC use. And so I don't think I can yet ask her most of the questions and have her tell me, but mm-hmm. it gives me a guide. To, to where you're headed. Oh, yeah. And I'm going to try this and I'm going to, I'm going to experiment with this and see whether this strategy works better than, than that one. And I think that, I think that one of the things that most floored me was conversations that we had about privacy. And the idea that your voice and your AAC voice is deeply private and deeply personal. Mm-hmm. And the words that we use throughout the day are actually private. Like a typical teenager comes home from school and their mother does not know every word they use that day. Mm-hmm. They get mm-hmm. to use words that their parents don't know about. But if you're an AAC user, when is the last time that the speech therapist and the teacher and the parent asked their permission before checking their history? Yeah, right. 
right? right? It was just, it never had occurred to me to ask for permission mm -hmm. before going into a student system or to ask their permission before changing a symbol or adding a word or making sure that they really got to explore all the different voice options before they chose one or, but especially around message history. And even even to the point of, are we making a really conscious effort to teach our students, this is your private voice and I'm gonna model this one over here mm. that's generic, that's not your personal one. And if I do, I'm gonna ask you for permission before right. I model on your AAC device. Even if you don't seem to care right now, I'm gonna ask your permission before I model on it every single time because I actually want to teach you that this should be private. But yeah. these are your own private words. That someone should be asking your permission to touch their your your voice. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Well, that, those are awesome insights. I can't wait to see the checklist. And I think it's such a great thing to to like you said, give people a guide, but then um, people can people who are AAC users can use that checklist to, to do like a self assessment to say, yeah, what what are my preferences as a as a as as people communicate with me. Yeah. I think that's great. I can't wait to see it. And thank you for doing that work. Sure. Oh, it's so much fun. It was awesome. So Lindsay, uh, tell me more about these activities that you do. What, what kind of things do you do to, to generate language with students? Um, well, I'm not really a big fan of really traditional speech therapy activities. Um, I've never done an activity on farm animals. I would rather look at activities that are more engaging from a sensory science discovery type perspective. Um, in our summer immersive classroom, we pick a scientific theme every week. For example, one week we focused on things that spin. Um, we use those like, uh, you know, tops that, you know, spin and go crazy. And that's a perfect uh, opportunity to say, put it on when you're talking about the little plunger thing, turn it, push it, let it go. Wow, that's awesome. Look at that. Um, even just getting a kid in a chair and spinning them. I've got an astronaut board where I put the kid on the thing and spin them in circles um that's so great yeah how much fun is that right I mean, yeah exactly uh do the spin art thing where you push the button and it uh makes the paper spin and you pour paper or pour paint in flight and gravity is always a popular one where we'll fill you know blow balloons up with helium and let them go up to the ceiling this is so engaging with the kids um and it's perfect opportunity to say, all right, we're going to take the balloon and we're going to put it on the tank. And then we have to push it down to make it big or blow it up. And then we would tie it and then we could let it go. It would go up, make it fly. And of course, kids at the single word level could just say, go up, fly, or pick a color. Helicopter toys, um, where you sort of pull the string and they go flying. Uh, this summer, the kids really loved doing the uh, our melt theme, um, where we played with a lot of ice. I put um, little dinosaur or, you know, little Happy Meal-sized toys inside a balloon, filled them with water, froze them in the freezer, and then when we uh, cracked them open the next day, it would be like this egg with a thing in it, and the kids had so much fun, you know, touching them, blowing them with a hair dryer to try to uh, get the thing out. 
we did a week on food. In fact, every, every day during our um, immersive classroom, we did some sort of food related to the theme because we wanted to have an element of food exposure. Not necessarily you have to eat it, but tolerating it in the room, on your plate, um, you know, doing the standard uh, touch it, smell it, kiss it. Um, light is a really popular one. Um, I like taking those finger lights that you can find at the dollar store yeah. and sticking them in a white balloon and blowing them up and then you've got this like glowing orb thing. <laughs> um, and again, the, the opportunities for using core vocabulary when you're putting stuff in and blowing it up and doing it more and picking colors. There's just so, so, so many opportunities. Um, oh my gosh, that is so awesome, right? Because I mean, if what you're getting at there is, I mean, and I say this a lot, I, was, I, I go into a lot of uh, autism classrooms where I talk to a lot of teachers, uh, not just autism, lot, lots of different classrooms, but it's often like the same thing. Like you go in, you get the work task out of the box, you sit there, you put the pegs in the box and like, this is so not motivating or fun for anybody. And it's like driving the love of school right out the door. And what you're talking about is like, kids would be excited to come and do these things. I can just imagine, I mean, any kid would wanna chip away and find the dinosaur buried in the ice. You know what I mean? That's so much fun or watch balloons fly up to the sky. You know I mean? That's, it just makes learning fun. Yeah. It's so exciting. Those are great ideas. Thank you for yeah, sharing. It's, it's a blast. Um, I chronicled all of last year's um, immersive classroom activities on my blog, which is Lindsay's AAC blog.com. So I'm going to share the heck out of that. <laughs> all right. Thanks, Lindsay. Absolutely. Welcome back. So uh, we're doing these little segments now called uh, Small Talk. It's just a speech bite. Yes, speech bite. I like that. I like that. You could do it with a Y because it's technology Yes, because it's a little bite. There you go. Oh my I'll take a profit from you. you I'll take a... You can't leave. You can't leave. So Eleanor, you've been with me for a day. We, you went and followed me in the schools and got to meet some of the students. Now, it was only day four. Like The kids had just come back and the teachers had just come back. So really just settling in. We really were, right? And we were doing a lot of just uh, finding where students are. And you also met with my counterpart. His name is John. And we got to chat a little bit with him. And he was uh, in other schools and, and, and getting the same question. I've got the same question and John got the same question. And you were like, wait a second. I'd we like, do that. We do that. <laughs> so the question that kept coming up in our conversations from teachers is, there are students using like a coffee cart sort of system or schools using a coffee cart sort of system where students with disabilities will man the cart. They go around and they go to different classrooms and they um, sell things to the teachers or the parents or the administrators or whoever else is in the building. And it's usually coffee or biscuits or whatever else is on the cart. Yeah. And right now, uh, none of the coffee carts that I know of, and this is why they've been asking us the questions, have a good way of managing the money uh, and teaching the, uh, the students who are using devices or, or who are not uh, to, to, this is, oh, you're going to order coffee and a coffee plus a creamer plus maybe a, a, a bonus biscuit or something equals this price. And when we were having this sort of conversation over and over again, you were like, you do this. something like that. So tell us, yes. what, do you, what, do you, what do you use for something like that? So we have a coffee coffee club, coffee program that ran once a week 
now it's twice a week, soon to be three times a week because it is so popular <laughs> amongst staff and students. And it's um, a program that our senior students run and they use an app which is free on the iPad and it's called Square Point of Sale. So there's a lot of these point of sale apps that you can get free on the iPad. And basically what it is, it's a fully customizable register system. So essentially you put in, um, you take a photo of whatever it is that you're selling or you find a photo online if you like. You say if how much money it's going to cost. You can say it's a coffee and then you can add different sizes. So you say it's a coffee, it's a large coffee, it's a small coffee. And you can put all these in here and then all the student needs to do is they click all the things that people are ordering. It'll total it up for them. They proceed to the checkout. Oh, so it's going to be $7, but they've just given me a $20 note. Ah. You just click the $20 note and it tells you how much change you need to give them. And it's something that a lot of cafes are starting to use. So it's actually something that's being used in the community, which is nice because you get that transferable skill as opposed to all these customised things that we make in school, which are beautiful, but then no one outside of school is ever going to use them. Right. If it's a program that people are actually using in actual stores, then it's not something you're just kind of practicing with some sort of made-up app just to practice with. It's a yeah. real thing. Yeah. Exactly. And it's something that you can you can get um, various different gadgets that plug in that you can even be using your Visa card and you can be doing tap and pay, which is what everyone does now. How many people are actually using cash? Right. <laughs> so it's, it's nice in that way and fully customizable. It took me about two minutes to set up a full register just to demonstrate it. To John and I'd never seen it before so it's yeah that would be my tip that'd be my assistive tech that's really useful for this growing area that everyone seems to be doing coffee carts yeah awesome and it, but it could be used in other places as well if you're running a store of some sort you could use it for absolutely anything even if you're doing like an imaginary pet store you're taking a photo of all the different toys you're using you could be doing a grocery store you could be doing whatever you like and um it's really really easy to set up Oh, one more time, what's the name of it? So this one is called Square Point of Sale, but Point of Sale on iTunes will give you a million different options. Most of them are free, so you can even just go in, have a play around, and look at what's going to suit you. Awesome. Well, thank you for that tip. I hope no it helps worries. people out. So, Tabby, before you go, right, it's a bonus segment. We're going to talk about what you're doing over the summer, right? So tell, tell me more. You're going to be at a camp? Yeah. Help organize a camp? What's, what's, you give me the, give me the spiel. Um, so Camp Gizmo is a summer camp for families of kids who use assistive technology in Romney, West Virginia. It's an annual camp. This is my second year, so I'm excited to go back. Um, and so it's a really unique camp. It's a camp where families come as a family, and they get to work with um professionals to explore assistive technology solutions for their kids. So there's lots of labs at Camp Gizmo. There's um, a mobility lab that looks at everything from seating, positioning, power mobility, leisure, mobility during leisure activities. There's um, sensory labs. There's uh, vision labs. There's every lab that you can imagine related to the specific needs of kids with with disabilities that where assistive technology might be beneficial. Um, I'm getting to uh, help out in the make and take lab. So we, they, last year it was, it was probably the coolest lab. (laughs) (laughs) I thought you'd say so myself. (laughs) They had tables and tables of materials, all kinds of things to make. Like one of the things that they made was they had this PVC and they made play like water tables out of PVC pipe and containers that were at levels that were, you know, could work for 
you know, kids in wheelchairs. And so the kids are making things, or they're well, made, and then the kids are interacting with the stuff that has been made. The kids are interacting, but the um, so one component of the camp is that lots of grad students and professionals from around the state come and work with the families as they go from lab to lab. So there's professionals in the labs, and then there's people that also go along with the families to support. So it's you know it's usually those folks, the grad students and such, that do the creation, creating the families can go in and um, create adapted books. Um, there was a workshop last year on switch making. So oh just lots gosh. of cool stuff. Super yeah. fun, super yeah. fun. And then in the AAC lab, they have, um, they have tons of equipment that they try out with kids and you know, they really work hard to get to figure out like how to get kids started with functional communication systems that work for them. And, That's amazing. Um, so I just want to get, get that straight. Someone who doesn't have an AAC device might come to the camp over the summer and try out a bunch of different things and walk away going, yeah, we really need to have some AAC and yeah. we try <clears throat> these two. Well, let's look at one of these to, to implement and go back to their schools or wherever. And yeah, say, and they leave with documentation to help guide their practitioners at home with how to utilize, implement, obtain, you know, how to work to get the kids what they need with related regard to AAC. That's awesome. Yeah, That's it's awesome. really fun. And they do other camp. I mean, there's a pool and they have games and campfire and... You know, there's workshops in the evenings for parents and professionals. There's parent groups, there's sibling groups. So that really caters to the needs of families as a whole. Um, that's really the, the goal of it. So if someone was trying to, if someone was thinking of making a camp, is there someone we could contact to say, like, is there a formula or a, a, a rubric you could follow, <laughs> if you will, to like, how can um, I re- recreate that so yeah, I can make my own camp? Ginger Huffman is the director of the camp, so she's with West Virginia Department of Education. I'm sure you can find her on their website. Camp Gizmo, is the if you Google that, you'll find that as well. <laughs> awesome, awesome. All right, thanks, Tabby. I really appreciate it. Have fun at camp. <laughs> Will do.